This is Dylan. This is Nick. And you're listening to Hello and welcome to Colloquium. We're here on, uh, what day is it? Friday. Friday night. <laughs> like podcasts on a Friday night. Have we done a podcast on a Friday night before like I'm this? I'm not sure we have, to be honest. But we're both coming from, from athletic festivities. I had a baseball game to coach this evening, and Nick was watching a little soccer. Yeah, a little soccer ball, as they say. Yeah. Is that what they say? No, I say that. But okay. <laughs> You trying, say a lot of things. I'm trying to help me. That doesn't make, make it they. <laughs> right. But anyway, here we are. We've also been reading quite a bit. Um, I actually read an entire novel in preparation for this podcast. It's not a long novel you, or a difficult novel. I'm read. hoping you have some good things to say then. Oh, well, you might be you might be out of luck. <laughs> I did though. So we're, we're what are we talking about, Nick? Yeah, we're talking about Flannery O'Connor today. Uh, just some of her readings and her thought, and a little bit about her life as well. So, yeah, and I spent about the last week of my life—not really the whole week of my life—but I spent the last week trying to finish her novel *Wise Blood*. I've read uh, quite a few of her short stories. I think we both have a collection of, of her short stories. Um, but I wanted to get one of the novels in just to have a, a deeper perspective on her coming in into this. Yeah. Are you a quick reader? I am. I've not always been, but I think I am now. Not like our friend Daniel, though. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, we have a friend who uh, reads, what does he read, like 400 pages a day? Yeah. Something like that. No, he can read like a thousand page book in a day or two. It's it's wild. It's unbelievable, it's yeah. Unbelievable. So not that fast, but um I had a lot of reading to do in college that I think I just I just had to learn. I had so much reading. Right. That you know, you have to get two, three hundred pages in a week and you just you either learn to read fast or you drop out, I guess. So Gotta I think I learned the hard way. Gotcha. Right on. All right. Just curious. But yeah, anyway, so Flannery, um like I said, I think we've both read quite a few of her short stories. Um, how many would you say you've read? Um, probably eight or so. Okay. Yeah, I'm probably yeah. about the same, maybe a few yeah. more. But I, I probably don't remember more than eight of them because I have this. Uh, the Complete Stories of Flannery O'Connor probably has 30, 40 oh, wow. short stories in here. Okay. Um, so I've I've picked it up for the last few years time and time again. Um, really, really interesting. I'm Kicking things here, sorry. Oh my gosh, Dylan just fell. Sorry, I almost <laughs> fell out of my chair. <laughs> anyway, Nick, you want to give a little background on Flannery? Yeah, sure. Or why we're doing this? I yeah, guess, in the first place. Yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll do both here in in one in one go, in one take. Um, so yeah, I was doing a lesson on the Word on Fire Institute, um, relatively oh, recently. Okay. I yeah, actually so. didn't know that's where it okay. came from. So yeah, you're gonna be yeah. enlightened here. I'm so intrigued. Yeah, so um. I was doing a lesson um, on the Word on Fire Institute. Of course, you know, you know that I am a Bishop Barron and Word on Fire follower and fan. Um, Potentially the biggest. Right, maybe so. Yeah, so um, the series was called um, uh, From Books to Ballads. Basically, it was about like why Catholics should read great classic works. Okay. Um, that was what the series of lessons was about. Um, and a few of the individual lessons inside that, you know, overall lesson was called uh, why you should read such and such um so a couple of them were like why you should read shakespeare and why you should read um i can't even re remember who the others were robert frost was another one so we're totally ripping this off of word on fire so um uh, yeah maybe a little bit yeah <laughs> maybe a little bit let's be honest no but i thought hey that would be a really cool thing to um 
to do a podcast on every now and then. We're you know both big readers. We love to read and we love to talk about what we read. Um, why not stimulate conversation um, uh, amongst our listeners by uh, encouraging them to read and you know talk yeah. about that ourselves? So that's kind of why we we brought up this little series. I think we might be doing semi regularly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think I think particularly focusing on on fiction. Um, I think. I mean, that's all we'll be talking about for the most part. It'll be Flannery O'Connor's, O'Connor's fiction. Um, but I think, yeah, it's it's why you should read. You could just leave it at that. Like, why why right. should you read? Right. But I think that it's something in the last few years of my life, I think, I've grown a lot in. I've, I've always been, not always, I mean, I've had phases, but I'd say more or less I've always been a reader. But I think in recent years, I've been a bigger and bigger reader of fiction. And for a while, I think I just couldn't get into fiction because it's just like, I mean, it's not real. You know, it's like, okay, it's just stories, right? About not fictitious people. They're not real. didn't happen. Like, I want to read about real things. I want to read about, like, I'm into theology, right? I want to read about theology because that's real. Um, and fiction, it just seems like a bunch of stories. But I think in recent years, I've really just been really, I think, enamored with the power of and we've talked about this before. We talked about the power of fictional narratives, but the power of a fictional narrative to just, I think, immerse you in a story and then teach you things about the human experience. Right. And I think that's something Flannery O'Connor does really well. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> what's popping into my mind is, uh, you know, in South Huntsville, where Don and I both live, um, there's a quote um, on the Barnes & Noble window. I don't know if you've seen it, Dylan, but... Um, I always look at it when I walk in because it's by G.K. Chesterton, who's a famous Catholic oh, okay. writer. Mm -hmm. um, and you walk into Barnes & Noble, and there it is on the left. It says, um, literature is a luxury. Fiction is a necessity. Hmm. Um, that's what it says on the left in uh, Barnes & Noble. Yeah, it's always really struck me as being so powerful, you know, especially as I I personally as well have gotten into fiction reading, especially over the recent years. And uh it strikes me as being so powerful, you know, that we need these stories to, you know, to learn about the human experience, like you said, and also to inspire us to live our own human experience more fully. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think just kind of cultivate a, an imagination, a Catholic imagination, a right. Christian imagination as well. So Nick, why don't you go ahead and give us a little background on who Flannery Connor is or slash was before we jump into some of her themes? Sure. Yeah. So, um, she was a Southern writer, uh, from the mid 1900s. Yeah, you um, wrote down, I noticed, sorry to interrupt, but you wrote down Southern Gothic writer. I'm not sure I even know what that means. Yeah, I'm not really sure I do either, so thanks for putting me on the spot. But uh, I, need I think what I, what, I mean by, <laughs> I think what I mean by Gothic, she uses the word grotesque actually a lot in her okay. writings. Um, and I think we can both agree that that's a proper word to describe Flannery yeah, O'Connor. Oh, absolutely. Right, Which, okay. to our audience, yeah. if you don't know anything about her except that she's a Catholic writer, that might be really shocking. Right, yeah. So gothic, another word, is probably grotesque. And kind of what I, what I, what I meant by that was uh, dark and a little bit violent and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, just exploring yeah. darker themes, I think. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, anyway, so she was, uh, I think, born in Savannah, Georgia. She actually grew up... Uh, very, very, because I'm told it's like a matter of yards from the Savannah Cathedral downtown. Um, so that's where she grew up going to Mass, and uh, maybe you more, know more about that, Dylan, than me. But uh, No, I, I've actually never been to Savannah. I've always wanted to go to Savannah. 
But all I can think of is the the Office episode when they, where they say, "There's been a murder in <laughs> Savannah." <laughs> I've never. But I seen feel that. like that's very Flannery O'Connor esque. Oh There's yeah, a murder in Savannah. That sounds like one of her novels. You know, <laughs> too funny. I never heard that. Yeah, it would have worked better if you knew. But right. our listeners know. Our listeners know about the Office, and they know that reference, and they're laughing right now. Right. Yeah. Anyway, great. Um, so. Yeah, so she was born in Savannah. She moved to Milledgeville, Georgia. It's a small town in Georgia um, where she, uh, I think, wrote a lot of her works. Um, but she also, she had the, a disease. I think it was lupus. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds right, lupus. Okay, yeah, I think it was lupus. Um, it seems, it, it's so funny in the Catholic tradition how some of these these great figures in our in our tradition uh, oftentimes have so much suffering in their lives. You know, and I think Flannery O'Connor is just another one of those cases. Yeah. Um, how holiness is accompanied by by great suffering a lot of times um yeah and i think that's a, a theme you you see in her novels like the the role of suffering right I think, in in the life of of a human being but uh, especially in the christian life right yeah um and also just to give you an idea of how just how great of a figure she was in the literary tradition you know um bishop Barron has has been known to quote and say that she is um perhaps the greatest catholic fiction writer of the 20th century Perhaps. Um, perhaps. If, if Bishop Barron said it, then perhaps. He said perhaps to kind of give himself sure. the leeway, but yeah, yeah. arguably would be another perhaps. word. Perhaps. Nicholas Smith <laughs> was the greatest. Oh, no. I didn't write anything in the 20th century, so. <laughs> oh, okay. Can't be Nick. Okay. Right. She's, she's probably got the edge over you. Right. Yeah, I think, um, so I think another important fact, I don't know if you're done with your facts. I'm done. But, um, she died young in her 30s. Th- 30s or 40s i think 30s i think um, late yeah, 30s, 30s. Yeah. so mid-career like she we if she had not died when she did we probably would have more works from flannery o'connor right. so actually it's quite incredible that we have all these short stories and a couple novels from her in a career that was maybe 15 no more than 20 years right um so very prolific for an, an, an author who died so young yeah, isn't that sad too? You know, she could have lived forty more years and right. produced twice of what she had. You know, three times what she had now. So right. who knows what we've well, been blessed I mean, with? Yeah, in the Lord's providence, though, right? I think I think the Lord ensured that that her best work got out there. Amen. That's probably fair to say. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So let's jump into the themes because we've uh, spent like ten minutes here on the biography, and yeah, we gotta we gotta get moving. Yeah, let's do it. Um, right. I, I think your theme is the first. Why don't you jump in? Yeah, so so my first theme here... Um, really quick, can we explain what we mean by theme? Um, I think sure. We, yeah. yeah, go ahead. So, y- oh, you I don't do know it. what you mean. So yeah, let me, <laughs> let me do it then. <laughs> so, I just thought we'd, we'd preface it by um, um, saying that, you know, I think it's fair to say that Flannery O'Connor focuses on, um, I don't want to say a few, but some kind of recurring themes within her various yeah. works. Um, and so we kind of want to explore what those are and how relevant they are for uh, for our lives and today right yeah i think we could have organized this a number of ways but i think theme is is gonna be a great way to do that right um so we'll talk about some of her different stories and i think we decided we'll um we might give away some of the ending of the short stories yeah um because they're still good even if you know how it ends um but the novels will try not to i'll try not to it might be hard i i just told nick the ending of wise blood right um but I'm going to try not to do that to the listeners. Anyway, first theme that we have is that atheism is better than bad religion. Atheism is better than bad religion. This is a note I made um, actually in Wise Blood. I don't normally annotate fiction, but 
I was underlining and making notes in this as I was reading it, just because I knew I was preparing for this. And that was just something that struck out to me, I think, or stuck out to me. I think there is, in Flannery's writing, we see a lot of really superficial and a lot of hypocritical religion, um, particularly kind of in the South. It's all of her writings immersed in, in Southern Protestant culture, I'd say, um, infused with Catholicism too. But um, yeah, there's really there's just this superficiality, this kind of fakeness, I think, in a lot of her characters. There's a lot of fake Christians in her writing. And a lot of her main characters tend to be like atheists or agnostics kind of in response to this fake Christianity. Mm. And so I think, I mean, there's some examples for that that we can go into, but I want you to react a little bit to that first, that, that idea of atheism is better than bad religion. How do you see that in, in her writing? Yeah, I, I definitely see it. Um, yeah, and I think you're going to bring this up later on, but I, the specific story that I'm thinking of is good country people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very fascinating, and by fascinating, I mean shocking story. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a, kind of a horrific ending, you know. But yeah, um, yeah she is very, very. We're going to get into this theme also, but she's very, very good at making, um, yeah, just inconsistent or um, poor behaviors or sin seem, you know, not right. worth living or disgusting. Yeah. You know, and I think this is just right. an example of that of how, you know. Um, uh, atheism or uh, halfway Christianity or bad religion, like you said, yeah. um, is just honestly uh, disgusting and, and, yeah. and not really a way worth living. Yeah, and it's funny because your your kind of knee jerk reaction might be that like, oh, this sounds like somebody who's kind of like anti religious would write, right? Like they'd write about like the the horrors of of false Christianity and of bad religion. But no, she's profoundly Catholic and in, intentionally writing in that way. So I think. We'll talk a little bit about why that is and how that actually makes it a Catholic novel and how it um, does communicate the gospel in some way. But let's go ahead and go there with with good country people, I go think. Um, so to, to kind of illustrate this point that atheism is, is better than bad religion. So she has this, it's a short story called Good Country People. And she has this, uh, kind of the main characters in it, there's a, a Bible salesman who's going door to door. And there's these kind of good country people who live. There's a, a mother and her daughter, and I think there's another character yeah, around character. the house. Yeah, maybe um, a housemaid or something like that. I can't yeah. Remember. But anyway, the, the daughter of this mother is, is kind of like a teenage atheist, like really angsty, like thinks she's, she's very intellectual, and she's read a lot, and she's figured it out, and she doesn't believe in God. And, and there's kind of some tension with the mother because of that. And this Bible salesman comes to the door, and and ends up kind of engaging with this atheist daughter in conversation. And, um, I mean, long story short, essentially ends up, um, I guess, kind of convincing her to go off, like, on a date with her. And right. he kind of seduces her. Um, yeah. And this daughter, like, I guess an important detail is that she has, like, a false leg, like a peg leg kind of. And long story short... Am I leaving any details out? Before nope, you got it, I think. Yep. Long story short, he seduces her, like leads her off into the woods, um, steals her leg, and like takes a shot of whiskey and leaves her there, basically. Right. Um, and so it turns out this Bible salesman who's like, and, and builds up, like he kind of seems like a legit Bible salesman, seems credible, um, and then he just is clearly just not a good person. Right. And there's this line at the end where... The Bible salesman, as he's leaving her, 
um, in the woods, he says to her, he says, you ain't so smart. I've been believing in nothing ever since I was born. You ain't so smart. I've been believing in nothing ever since I was born. And I thought that was such a profound line for him to say in that moment. Um, but I guess how do you react to that when you hear that? Yeah, I guess I'm—and um, this is very true of of me when I read Flannery O'Connor's stuff, is that it takes me like four or five times before I, uh, before I can form an opinion on it when I read it because it's yeah. very profound and I'm not sure I quite understand. And this is one of those times. I think you're going to have to help me here. I think maybe what, what's being meant here is— um, um, and I think this is obvious from what he's saying, but it's it's easy to it's easy to believe in nothing. It's not yeah, you don't have yeah. to be smart. You don't have to be an intellectual, high intellectual. Think about it a lot to believe in nothing. That's your default. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Kind of and I think right. that's a big theme for her. Is is not hard to be an atheist. Right. Right. And I think there's she has this character who kind of fits that intellectual atheist prototype. Right. And then it turns out actually this Bible salesman, this Christian on the outside is actually more atheistic than her. Right. Um, so it, I think it exposes two things in one in this story. And I think it exposes kind of the, the superficiality of Christianity, um, or of not of Christianity, but of Christians, some Christians, right? And also kind of the maybe lack of intellectual depth despite appearing to have a lot of intellectual depth of atheism. Right. And I remember reading this story, and I think I was similar to you. I, I like read it. I'm like, I think my jaw just hung open <laughs> at the ending. I'm like, what? what is she trying to say here? Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I think there's a really, I think it's a really powerful point that she makes with those two characters juxtaposed. Right. Absolutely. I feel like we're in a book club here. Yeah. The two characters juxtaposed. <laughs> What do you think about the juxtaposition of the atheist and the Bible salesman? Stop it right now. <laughs> um, and then I think we also see this in her character, Hazel Motes. Uh, right. This is a character that shows up in, uh, in her novel, Wise Blood. Um, and I guess, is, is he in short stories, or you just read a chapter of Wise Blood? I did, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. I have a little um, Flannery O'Connor collection here, and one of the short stories is essentially a chapter in Wise Blood. So I have read a little bit of it, but... Um, yeah. not a ton. So. But he's the same thing. I mean, basically, he um, he is agnostic, atheistic, like reacts strongly and harshly against uh, Christianity to the point where he starts his own church, and he calls it the Church Without Christ. Um, and he says he preaches, basically, he preaches the, um, he preaches to whoever will listen. He says, I preach the church without Christ. I'm a member and preacher to the church where the blind don't see and the lame don't walk. And what's dead stays that way. He goes on to say, I'm going to preach to whoever listen at whatever place. I'm going to preach that there was no fall because there was nothing to fall from. No redemption because there was no fall. And no judgment because there wasn't the first two. Nothing matters but that Jesus was a liar. Hmm. This is the main character, Flannery O'Connor, right. right, of our Catholic novelist. Um, but again, he's reacting, and you see in, in the novel, you see what he's reacting to. And he's reacting to just real fake Christianity, I think. Hmm. Right. And so I think, like, ultimately, obviously atheism isn't the ideal, but I think she's kind of making this point that, well, if, re if religion, if Christianity is what only what 
we see in the fakeness and the superficiality, then why would you believe in hmm. it? Right. And I think it sets the tone for, I think it sets the groundwork for proposing something different and something better. That's a classic quote where the blind don't see and the dead don't walk and the lame yeah. stay that way. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of funny. And there's like this, there's just like strange, like blasphemy about it too. Yeah. But it's like, and this is in her main character. But it's intellectually consistent, I think is kind of a part of the theme here. You know, it's like, yeah, that's the logic of an atheist. It is. Um, and right, she's, yeah. and again, this is the kind of the, why I love Fernando O'Connor so much personally is, she lays it out in an intellectually consistent manner and makes it appear disgusting, you know, yeah. uh, and makes it appear horrible and not the way one should live. So um, I think yeah. it's fair to say, right? I haven't read yeah. a whole lot of Wise Blood. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, it's definitely disgusting. Right, so, okay. Yeah, lots of murder and, and adultery and all sorts of sin. Right. Um, but I think that leads, the, the theme of disgust leads into to one of the next themes, and that's that, she, one of her goals, and I think I got this from you, unless you got this from somebody else, then I still got it from you. Right. Um, but she wants to shock people with the horrors of sin. Yeah, so um, let me read this quote. This is from one of her, her letters that she wrote. Um, I can't remember what the letter is called, but um, it's a little bit a little bit long, um, but it's one of her, her most famous ones, and I think it sheds a lot of light on um, on how she writes and why she writes the way she does. Yeah, so here it is. Quote, the novelist with Christian concerns will find in modern life distortions which are repugnant to him. And his problem will be to make these appear as distortions to an audience which is used to seeing them as natural. And he may well be forced to take ever more violent means to get his vision across to this hostile audience. When you can assume that your audience holds the same beliefs you do, you can relax a little and use more normal ways of talking to it. When you have to assume that it does not, then you have to make your vision apparent by shock. To the heart of hearing, you shout, and for the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures." End quote. So that's a, a kind of a famous line from her. To the heart of hearing, you shout, and for the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. Um, so, and again, an another um, quick soundbite from that one is, um, the, the Christian writer's problem will be to make these appear as distortions, um, to make distortions right. appear, in fact, as distortions. Yeah. Um, do you have initial thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's fascinating to me because I think, I think you mentioned in that quote, like her vision, she's trying to accomplish this vision, and in order to do it, she has to shock people, right? Because people don't believe, um, and she's writing for an audience, I mean, partially Catholic, but she's writing for a gener general audience who... Um, in a culture that generally doesn't believe. Right. Um, and so she's trying to shock them out of their, their sin. But I guess, I guess the question that comes to mind for me, Nick, is what, what is that vision? You know, if there's this vision she has and she's trying to ultimately shock people with the horrors of sin, like what is she trying to accomplish with that as a Catholic novelist? Um, well, I think maybe what you mean is he's trying to turn people towards the opposite, towards the the good and the yeah, beautiful ultimately. Life. But like, yeah, yeah. What's like, why is she going about it in that way? You think? Yeah. So, I mean, I I want to talk a little bit about the culture, but I think the end of that quote brings it together. In my opinion, you know, to the heart of hearing, you shout, "Yeah, these people are you know deaf to what evil and good actually is." So, um, portraying evil 
in a more emphatic way wakes people up to the reality of what evil is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that kind of answers it for me. But in terms of in terms of the culture too, there are, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm sure it was this way in Fenner O'Connor's time. We we all know that it's the same way now. You know, is that a lot of times in our culture we have sin that's portrayed in a positive way. Like you know, for example, mm-hmm. you might see, you know, uh, a common one is you know, two people having sex outside of wedlock in a movie. Mm-hmm. And the idea that the movie presents is that that's a good thing. Right. Like yeah. everybody's supposed to cheer on these people that are, you know, having sex outside of wedlock. Um, and Flannery O'Connor's goal is to kind of twist that around and show you a scene as an example where people are having sex outside of wedlock, but it's right. ugly and disgusting and the aud- right. audience is supposed to be repulsed yeah. by it. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately what, what I was getting at with that question is, right. yeah, like what's this accomplishing? And I think that, yeah, that that is so true because it's, you know, we think about like, and I think we've had conversations about this before, like writing or putting, writing about sin or putting sin in a movie, right? Are you doing it in a way that glorifies sin or a way that like exposes it for what right. it is, you know? And I think, and after you saying that, I just think about how, how Flannery O'Connor does that. Like, yeah, sin does not look appealing in her novels, whether it's adultery, whether it's murder, whether it's just kind of the rejection of Christ, right? Um, they're mi- like the people rejecting Christ are miserable, you know? And, and not saying that all her, you know, in fact, all of her, kind of quote-unquote christian characters aren't necessarily like happy all the time they're you know the the models of of joy but right um i think that's something she accomplishes yeah in focusing on on that idea of sin um and shocking people with the horrors of sin it doesn't look appealing right um yeah yeah, go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say i want to emphasize that um this for me is by far the primary um mastery of Flannery O'Connor. I think Flannery O'Connor is, the, and I'm not incredibly well-read, so just mm-hmm. take this with a grain of salt, but I, I think um, Flannery O'Connor is the master of this. She she is the master of um, making sin appear as distorted. Um, she's incredible at yeah. it. I remember reading a, reading the, the portion of Wise Blood, and there's a little portion in there where Hazel Motes has his woman that he sleeps with or whatever that's not his wife, and... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I remember there's like a scene where the in- implication is that they're about to, you know, sleep together again. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I remember yeah. like reading it and going, ugh. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but this is yeah. the daughter of a kind of fraudulent preacher oh. that he meets um, named Asa Hawks. And her name is Sabbath Hawks. Oh, my. And she's like just as corrupt and like fraudulent <laughs> as he is. Um, yeah. And yeah. So it's really, yeah, there's, it's steeped with just, just yeah. horror, I think. Yeah, I know. I mean, I I have an experiential, you know, an experience of having read Flannery O'Connor and being disgusted by sin. So, um, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. This is kind of off the off the um, outline a little bit, but I think one of something we've talked about before as well is just like what. So when we read this, right, we read this with a very Catholic worldview, and I think that. Is kind of you know we're reading this. We know she's Catholic. We and I think when I read her, just like when I read other Catholic novelists, I think knowing that they're Catholic, what are they trying to communicate? Right, right. But to somebody who doesn't know she's Catholic or really isn't Catholic themselves, like, do you think this is accomplishing the same effect? Yeah, the ultimate answer to that question is I don't know. Um, I I don't know. Um, I've I've thought about that myself, and I just I can't I can't say for sure. Um, yeah. Um, it's a really hard one. I. I mean, maybe. 
I just don't know if I have a good answer. You know, I, yeah. I wish we could have an atheist on who's read some Flannery O'Connor, mm. but a former atheist, right. hopefully. I mean, I think at the very least, she accomplishes the purpose of shocking people with the horrors of sin. Yeah. And that's not, you know, that's not convincing somebody of Catholicism, but I think that's accomplishing it, right? It's it's not glorifying sin. And I think that's something that, you know, it's, it's you know, there are maybe Catholic novels that are more explicitly evangelical and their con- characters are converted at the end. Like, her characters remain pretty unconverted. Yeah. And there's something, I think, natural in that, and, and I think it can still instill truths and realities of the Christian understanding of grace, of the need for redemption, without necessarily the reader having to be fully conscious of that yeah yeah i'm with you it's definitely a tough question as to whether this type of style actually uh does work you know i'd like to i'd like to hear some examples of a time when it does you know you definitely see what she's trying to do she's trying to basically grab her audience by the shoulders and tell them to wake up you know and who i mean who would we say her audience is primarily um i'm not really sure i'd like to hear it from her mouth you know but i'd have to look more closely at her letters maybe yeah um um, yeah i don't know i mean i i know she she does kind of have a for a catholic writer she does kind of have a broad range of 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 an audience i believe you know i I know i've personally read her famous short story a good man is hard to find in my public high school you know english class right yeah um so I, i know she does have kind of a wide a wide reach um but it'd be interesting to hear yeah and i think if you look at kind of her settings and and her um characters it's definitely set in the the south and the protestant south so i think right. she's certainly thinking of um this kind of protestant influenced but not always deeply christian south sure um and there's elements of catholicism tied in there like um one of the characters in wise blood is a fallen away catholic um and actually is really fascinating um so he he's somebody who hazel um the main character the agnostic preacher guy is trying to recruit to like join his church without Christ. And he's like interested, but the guy, it turns out the guy's just interested in, he just wants Hazel to help him go visit a whorehouse. And the thing is, he like, Hazel initially is interested and he goes with him in order to kind of gain a follower. And turns out the guy, because he's kind of a fallen away Catholic, um, but there's still kind of some Catholicism in him, he he doesn't want to like follow this church without Christ. Right. Um, and he even kind of has this like remorse for what he's doing. He's like, hmm. no, like I like, I forget what he says in particular exactly, but he expresses this remorse for like knowing what he was doing was wrong. And so we see even in that, this Protestant environment, there's like a, like an element of that fallen away Catholic kind of mentality as well. Hmm. Wow. Uh, but anyway, so shock people, with the horrors of sin we had, Atheism is better than bad religion. And then, so our third theme is the super, and we've touched on this, but the superficiality of some or many Christians um, in the South, but just, I think, in general. Right. Yeah, this bleeds through her, um, her, through most of her works. I think it's pretty, um, pretty consistent, I think. Um, She does, she attacks especially the kind of uh, content Southern farm figure that. um, Right. Oh, bless your heart. Right. Yeah. Implements Jesus in name only, you know, in yeah. speech only. Um, and doesn't seem to live in any sort yeah. of way that indicates indicates their actual belief. So, yeah. yeah, and I think I saw this a little bit in Wise Blood. Hazel Moats says, um, when he's preaching, he says, if Jesus had redeemed you, 
keep in mind he's preaching against Christianity. If Jesus had redeemed you, what difference would it make to you? You wouldn't do nothing about it. Hmm. And yeah, and I, you see this throughout his preaching. He's, he's just calling out the superficiality. And I think his rebellion is largely a reaction to the superficiality or fakeness that he sees in, in Christians that he knows. Right. In fact, the the pastor he's kind of kind of imitating and kind of competing with is also pretty fake. Um, and so I think that, yeah, that, that's really something that I think has a deeper meaning for her, right? It's, it's not just exposing the fakeness of some Christians for the sake of exposing the fakeness of Christians, but I think it's also pointing out like that in some, in a sense, like rebellion or agnosticism is the proper response to a false gospel. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I say that with like a grain of salt because it's like it's not the proper response, but mm-hmm. almost like who could blame somebody for reacting in that way if if that's their experience of Christianity? Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Flannery O'Connor is definitely is, is absolutely writing to her. Um, to her her real surroundings, you know, so she's drawing her figures or drawing on, you know, traits of people that you know probably she knows, you know, from um, right. from her life in you know the deep south. Yeah, and I think ultimately too that 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 experience that rebellion is almost I think sometimes and I think for her characters it's a step along the way to sanctification. Right, um, and it, sometimes it's necessary. Like real doubt is necessary for real faith. Right. You know, the the people who never doubt, who never wrestle with it, are the people who kind of have this surface-level Christianity. I'm not saying they aren't Christians or anything, but they can sometimes portray—they can sometimes be these characters who are this, this superficial or even sometimes fake Christians. And the—her characters, I think, are a lot more real. Um, sure. They're not there yet. They're still kind of in this, this reacting phase, but— I think sometimes, like I said, that's that's a step on the way in the journey. Sure, yeah. To true faith, and not right. to a superficial faith, but to, to real faith. And so it's important for those characters because you, you can't get there without that existential struggle in, to some degree. Right, I'm with you. Yeah, Flannery O'Connor, I think, is, is caught mentioning how a lot of times her stories are about the offer of grace that comes by very violent means. You know, So these characters are very much in a in a pre-acceptance of grace stage, you know, and um, yeah. Henry O'Connor kind of shows these points where in very violent and shocking ways, you know, they're, they're awakened and the offer of grace is presented. Um, and oftentimes, yeah. oftentimes that offer is refused, right. is, which yeah. is what she famously says. Yeah. yeah, I think you had that on the outline. Like, yeah. offer of grace is there, but you usually refuse. Right, yeah. And that's, that's a reality, right? People yeah. do reject grace. Yeah, I also wanted to point out kind of on that theme of like this rebellion against superficial Christianity being a step on the way. Um, I want to read a little bit from a, a book that contains some commentary on Flannery O'Connor's stories. The book's called The Life You Save May Be Your Own by Paul Ellie. And the title of the book actually comes from one of her short stories, one of Flannery O'Connor's short stories. But the book is a biography of O'Connor, Walker, Percy, Dorothy Day and Thomas Merton, who are four Catholic novelists in the 24th century. Or 24th century. Oh my, we're way ahead. Time traveling here. In the 20th century. Um, But I just want to read this snippet where he's talking about the end of Wiseblood and this character, Hazel Motes. And the way he describes him, I think is going to fit this theme. So he says, um, so spoiler alert, 
he dies at the end. I told you I wouldn't give it away, <laughs> yeah, but I gave well. it away. But again, like, no, these are still worth, like, that doesn't give away the book at all. Um, I think this, the book is still very much worth reading. Um, but he says, but as he dies, he might, so he kind of, context, he, um, this is the same character who's rebelling completely and preaching against Christianity. Um, it kind of ends where he kind of goes a little crazy. He ends up killing a guy and goes a little bit insane. I'm tr- totally giving it away. Um, goes a little bit insane, but then kind of lives this like cloistered kind of monkish, monkish life towards the end of his life. Um, not a holy life by any means necessarily, but just a a strange reserved life. Um, it says, but as he dies, he might either be a be holy or crazy. O'Connor's admirers have always seen Moats, it's Hazel Moats, the main character, as a saint in the making, a witness against the blindness of modern society. But the book and this is its key to its power, is more equivocal than that. Equivocal, however you want to pronounce it. At the end of it, Hazel Motes is not a prophet or a saint or a wise man or even a religious believer. Not yet. He is a person walking in darkness, a blind man stabbing the ground with his cane. And he is literally blind. Walking in darkness is his religious experience, not merely the context for it. You wanted me to comment on that? I wanted you to react. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, walking I, in darkness is not his religious experience. Yeah, walking in darkness is his re- religious experience, not merely the context for it. Right. Sure, yeah. I think that that's a great summary for um, what you've been discussing. You know, just kind of the, um, yeah, the darkness that these figures experience and kind of they're not really into full Christianity yet, but maybe getting there and the offer to enter into this full Christianity will be coming. Um, right. Yeah. This refusal to enter yeah, into it kind of a thing. Still right. being rejected. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's a great summary. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think the last theme you have here is the, the reality of the devil or evil. Yeah. So um, obviously the, the enemy is very much involved in these uh, violent and shocking, even sinful acts, you know, that Flannery O'Connor places in these stories. Um, yeah, so she uh, um, is quoted from, uh, I've had the good fortune of reading some of, some of her letters, and uh, it's just really cool to be able to get to know her in that way. And uh, mm-hmm. she's quoted by saying, My subject in fiction is the action of grace in territory held largely by the devil. Um, and she goes on to say briefly after that, The devil is frequently the unwilling instrument of grace. So, um, hmm. yeah, she talks a lot about how um, kind of these uh, you know, sinful and horrible, you know, um, acts, you know, post-fall um, are often the means by which um, the Lord, you know, enters into someone's life, you know. Um, he turns it around and bring, gives it power, you know. Um, yeah, I know uh, I read uh, her other novel, The Violent Barrett Away, recently. Yeah. Um, there's actually a figure in there that is the devil. Um, the main character, Tarwater, has a, um, basically this friend calls him the friend or sometimes he's called the stranger uh one or the other um that basically talks in his ear and you know tells him what to do this and that you know so um he's very much like a tempted you know you know being tempted on the shoulder kind of a figure you know you don't know really who he is throughout um it becomes more clear over time yeah and um Werner O'Connor in one of her letters says that yeah that's absolutely the devil you know so she's mm-hmm. uh, very much interested in this in in the novel about you know um, basically the influence of the devil on this on this person who um, essentially feels called by God to 
go on this mission. Um, yeah. The devil's, you know, um, role in making that not possible. So. Yeah, I think um, it just makes me think of back to you know, rem- remembering that she's a Catholic novelist, right? And in some ways, it maybe isn't what you would expect from a Catholic novelist, but in other ways, like she's immersing us in the reality of like the post fall world, you know, the reality of the devil, the reality of sin, the horror of sin. And if you think back to like, you know, our gospel episode, right, that, that is necessary. Understanding the reality of sin and the state that that leaves us in right, is necessary for except embracing redemption, right? It's necessary to, to know that we are fallen in order to experience redemption. Hmm. And so I think it's, it's kind of like almost laying the groundwork um, for preaching the gospel, I think is something that she does in her novels. Right, absolutely, yeah. So yeah, over, overall, I think um, the, her interest in the devil goes very much mm-hmm. along with kind of her, her interest in the, the effect of sin and you know, right. and kind of how to portray it properly and, and so on and, so, and what that means in the life of grace of a Christian and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think we've, we've captured kind of the, her focus on portraying sin and the devil appropriately yeah yeah i think that's the essence of flannery right yeah should that be a perfume or something the essence (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) that was your best joke of the night hey thanks i think that's the only joke i've told no problem oh okay (laughs) okay so i guess in conclusion why should we read flannery o'connor um yeah so (laughs) i've said it a hundred times now um uh but yeah so she reveals the true nature of sin as disgusting. Um, she uh, is the master of this, in my opinion. I don't know anyone better um, that yeah. reveals sin as it truly is and should be. Okay. Yeah, good. How about you? I think uh, I think for me, it, it's kind of two things. I think one, I think it'll, it'll subtly shape uh, Christian imagination, Catholic imagination. Um, I think it'll subtly by understanding like you said the horrors of sin i think it will help form your your intellectual life um i think in a subtle way but i think the second i think it'll also kind of like kind of like she wants to shock you in a way out of sin i think it'll kind of rid you of or has the potential to rid you of superficiality in your faith because i think it really exposes the um yeah just like the horror of sin it's like the I don't know if horror is too strong of a word, but like the horror of superficial faith, superficial Christianity. And so I think it can have an effect on, on that as well. And, and maybe rid you of, of some of that as you're immersed in it. Right. Great. Great. Well, that's our friend Flannery. Hopefully she becomes your friend too. Um, but yeah, highly recommend um, where to start Buy a collection of her short, sto- short stories or find a collection of her short stories somewhere. Her novel's really, Wise Blood, I mean, it was really easy to read. It flies by. Um, so it's not hard to pick up. The short stories take, what, 10, 20 minutes to read? I'm a very slow reader, so uh, I'd say probably 30 for me, maybe more. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, it doesn't take long at all. Yeah, if you you're can reading read. an enti- you can read an entire story in a sitting. Right, absolutely. Um, which yeah. I think is great. It's a great bed. For a while, I was reading them as bedtime stories. A little Oh, uh, okay. Light reading there. <laughs> bedtime stories, but... Halloween um, stories. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Read I it to you. your kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. No, maybe not. Um, but, yeah, and then also I do recommend, I can't, I mean, I'll probably bring it up again, because, uh, but The Life You Save May Be Your Own, both 
the short story of hers, but also the, the biography um, from Paul Ellie. Highly recommend. Just reading this novel, his, uh, it's immersed me in, in these four writers. Again, that's Merton, O'Connor, uh, Walker Percy, and Dorothy Day. But also in subsequently other authors. So this book is the reason I ended up uh, becoming a Dostoevsky fan, um, which we'll probably do a later why you should read, spoiler alert. But um, he mentions, like, basically in this this book, you see kind of this common theme in their life, and all their influences kind of overlap. And basically all of these writers were influenced by Dostoevsky. And so kind of re- through reading this book, I, I discovered new authors like Dostoevsky as well. So highly recommend that book as well just to immerse yourself in, in the worldview of these Catholic writers. Um, it's like immersing yourself in the lives of the saints. It can be a really powerful thing. Right. Yeah, I'd say probably a good place to start, too, is obviously the uh, her most famous one, A Good Man is Hard to Find. That's one of her shortest and, um, yeah. and Very shocking. Uh, yeah, very, very shocking and... Um, just memorable. You, it ends and you, your jaw is dropping. I think it's yeah. I think it's great to go in these knowing that she's a Catholic author because it just makes you when you read the ending, it's just like, what? Right. Yeah. What is going on? And then when you think more about it, you're like, oh, I see what she's doing. Yeah. I'm sometimes you. you aren't. Sometimes you're like, nope, still, still shocked. Yeah. All right. This that's probably a wrap. We'll see you next time. This has been our podcast. Praise be Jesus Christ. Now and forever. Amen.